welcome back to the What the Folk Sunderland Review Show. Uh, Sunderland failed to double up on their Christmas away day wins as we struggled a bit to a drab 1-1 draw against the team bottom of the league in Rotherham United. But as always, we're going to be here to review the action. I do say, as always, sometimes I like my midweeks off. Uh, this one, though, I'm going to do it because I've got a bit of a Saturday off. Um, just one of us today. So if you thought it was going to be really hard to drag out a 30-minute podcast that you were... Uh, I normally would struggle to do normally with all of us here. There's only one of us. Um, so pity me. I've only got Ross with me today. Ross, how are you doing? You all right? Oh, what an entrance that is. You know what? Yeah. But the, but the listeners are going to be thinking, get in, buzzing for this. Um, but I, I think you nailed it a bit there. It was turgid for the majority of the time. But we got a point. There's, there's obviously a lot more to it. But I think this result will all depend on how we do next week. Again, on next week, three days, sorry, mm-hmm. against Preston at home. Because if you can back it up with a home win, then four points away on the road isn't too bad. In hindsight, I probably would have took it against Hull and Rotherham beforehand. Um, but yeah, there's some glaringly obvious things we need to speak about, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I'm so like... like I mean, you people are probably thinking, oh God, they've started this podcast positively, but... I'm not good. Like it's Friday night. I've had a couple of whiskeys, um, and also I'm tripping over my words because it was quite boring, to be honest. Um, but I think for me, I'm just look. There was some positives, few and far between. I'm clutching straws a little bit, but we didn't get a point there last year. We we did this year. Um, there's caveats to it. We're playing games every three days. You could say that maybe plays into it a little bit. And there was some positive things I saw, like I actually saw a striker this week at some point, which is another thing we're going to come on to. Um, and in the dugout, and they got a win. I suppose they never stopped trying. That last twenty minutes, you know, one one ball goes in, and you never know. But I, I am clutching the straws a little bit, but um, it feels quite deflating after that, which is sort of in contrast to to Hull, but it, but it was a worse performance than Hull, wasn't it? I know you could say, well, if we win, you forget about it, but I think I think that was poorer than Hull. Yeah, it was the just the lack of any urgency and any sort of plan that pissed me off. Um, it just seemed like pass sideways, pass sideways, hope for the best, pass sideways, hope for the best. And it just became quite repetitive. And in a way, I think, like at the start of the game, Rotherham was so deep and they were very like passive, like let's not let them get away. And I think Rotherham came to a point where they were like, well, we can have a go at these. These aren't going to have a go at us. So we can have a go at them. And they kind of like played it in their hands. Um, And again, another unforced error by, was it 09 and Job messing on with the ball. They go one-on-one and thank God for passing tonight, by the way, because it took an absolute scream at a score past them, let's be honest. It was a good goal by Klukas, but the saves beforehand, three, Fantastic saves. Um, took some crap after the Coventry game, but he's came back with two fantastic performances where he's pulled off big saves and big moments. I think that's worth pointing out. Yeah, I but think yeah. he's responded really well, Pato, actually. You're right. I think we said, I think after the Coventry game, we did say, like, look, he made an absolute bollock against Bristol City, which I'm sure he'll own up to himself. And uh, he did the same against Coventry for the third, and I don't think he kind of had covered himself and glory too much the weeks before that but I'm a big um, Patterson fan I've always been a big fan of Pato like uh, in general I feel really safe with him I, I think he's one of the best goalkeepers in this league and I, I think the last two games he's sort of shown why I probably rate him so highly and so many people do but 
absolutely massive for us tonight. Look, I know we normally ask, I normally ask you and the lads to to pick out one player for for good reasons or bad reasons, but I think just to save us the uh, the job of having to pick the obvious one, Pato was outstanding tonight and probably the probably the biggest positive I think out of tonight, if anything. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, let's see about his saves. We're, we're two three 0 down. It's game over, anyways, isn't it? We're not even talking. We're, we're talking a bit negatively here. I imagine if they'd went in, <laughs> would have been a total different ball. But to be fair, we probably just would have went fuck it and not done it. To be honest, Graham, if we're being honest to the listeners, I absolutely would, would have not done that if we hadn't equalised. And that's just the fan in me. Unfortunately, the professionals they do a podcast after after every game. Sometimes I just can't be asked, and a hundred percent. Then we have the receipts to prove it in the WhatsApp group chat. I said, lads, if we're getting beat, we're not doing the podcast, and I think that's why there's only Ross on, um, because you were the only one that had hope that we might get one back from a deflected Jack Clark shot. But uh, yeah, sometimes you just, especially after performances like that and games like that, you don't really feel like doing a podcast, and you feel like you should do, but like. I just it felt there was a little bit of chat about maybe slightly on the negative side, but honestly, if any, anyone's listening and going, ah, oh, it's a bit too negative this, we didn't actually want to do it. So, you know, you've got one. Good on us. Fair play to us. Definitely. And fair play, I'm going to say it. But change has been made. I think Beal got it totally wrong today. Totally wrong from the outset. It was turgid. It was wrong. And I think he had a chance to change it early when Roberts got injured, which we will get on to, which could be a potential disaster. And then he brought Barn, which to me wasn't the sub to make. Pritchard was the sub to make. To be fair to Barr, things second off, he had a good game, but he didn't affect the game as much for me. And Pritchard came on, it was fantastic, as he always is from the bench. There's no there's no debate in that. Pembellier came on at right back, and he was a right back who can run and overlap which is not sealed game, so it's no slight on him. And with Huggins out, we missed that dynamic running, overlapping, creating a space for the wingers and the likes of Pritchard in the 10. And he brought a striker on the pitch. And although Burstow didn't look like scoring once, he took up some good positions and made up some good runs, which then attracted their defence to him to, to stop the runs or to track them all away, which then opened up the space for the likes of Clark, Pritchard, or even Neil played a bit higher. I mean, it, it even just having somebody taking up them areas in a more advanced position it helps us because when Job or Ochich uh, was coming and they were basically playing as another centre fielder, it's so easy to defend. They can just put four men behind the ball and go, come on then, come get past her. And we didn't have anything to do that. So, terrible start, last 20 minutes. You've got to have a focal point in this team for our more creative and technical players to thrive in the last 20 minutes to make sure that tonight. I think it's why we look so good when we had a really competent centre forward, like last January for a period of time before he done his Achilles and the start of the season when we had two of them alongside Sims, competent forwards that played in and around the box. And I agree with you on Burstow. I was going to ask what you thought about Burstow. And I think, I think the bulk of people will probably look at it and go, oh, well, another striker didn't score. It was crap. Um, and whilst he still looks like, like as raw as anything, the one thing that I did sort of notice, I watched first half and I was saying like, I was half on my phone, if I'm honest with you. Um, but I was saying like, when I was watching it, I was like, there's nothing in the box, like at all. Like you're seeing Clarky sort of run 40, 30, 40 yards, getting in the box, trying to put something in. 
and there's nothing in the box. All the players are sitting waiting around the box. And you're like, well, you need to get in the box. And then you see, I mean, Roberts didn't really have much time to play because he got injured and God, I hope he's all right. But the players, it looked like we had like four up front, if that made sense. Like you had like Clarky, you had Barr slash Roberts on the right and then Jobin Adil sort of sitting outside the box. When Burstow came on, I thought, just get in the box, kid. And he did, like, he was in the box, like, a lot of the time. And even just there was that point where he sort of clipped the the goalkeeper a little bit. And it came to absolutely nothing. But the fact he was in the box meant the keeper had to race out, the defender had to, like, chase it down. It gets you that little bit further up the pitch. And we'll get on to Pritchard because, obviously, I think that's a talking point. But it's a talking point every bloody week, isn't it, with Pritchard? But when Pritchard came on, we looked a little bit more like we had an identity and a plan. But I agree with you on Beal. I thought he got absolutely badly wrong today. Um, I, th- I thought we we looked completely devoid of ideas, completely devoid of any shape or anything like that. But I will give him credit for the fact that I think at half time he recognised that and brought a striker on just to get something in the box. And then I think the decision to bring on Pembele and Pritchard were good decisions. Maybe Pritchard should have been a little bit sooner, but I thought the Pembele one was a good substitution. And again, it's absolutely no slight on Jensen Seal. But I think having someone who is obviously very um, composed on the ball, a good passer, but he's a centre-half. Like he runs in treacle. Like he's six foot five, six six. You can see he's not someone who's going to bomb on and overlap the way Niall Huggins is. And when you're playing against Rotherham, you kind of need to. And I understand keeping Seal in the team because of his performance against Hull. But if you're going to play him, play him a centre back or play him in a back three. That's where we've seen the best of him for me in a back three against Leeds. You've got Unai in there who's He's not having the best of seasons because this kind of bad run of form's continuing a little bit too long for me. Outside of one or two really good games, I think it's good against Hull. He's very good against Leeds, but in general, he, he hasn't been great. Shift on line up to the, the right hand side until Pembele is up to speed and and get Jensen in the middle with with their DB. But credit where credit's due, he did change it a bit more proactively, and we did say that one of the the worries that we had about Mowbray was the fact that every substitution was the same and came at the same time. Today was a little bit different. One was enforced. You never know how the game would have went if Robert stays on the pitch, but I thought the decision to bring on a striker just to kind of occupy the centre-halves was a good decision. And I think Pembele and Pritchard were good substitutes. She could maybe argue Pritchard should have been on a little bit sooner. But um, yeah, it is what it is. I, I just thought, just for a bit of balance, I, th- I thought some of these decisions were good proactively, if maybe not the one he started with. Um, and we've picked out a few players already that we've pinpointed. I think Pato was like collectively both the player we want to pick out for that reason. But pick out a player for me, Ross, and you know, for negative or positive or just for whatever reason, um, from tonight's performance and, and give me a reason as to why you've picked him out. Negative tonight. I'm gonna have to pick out Adil Chish because he's done some really good stuff off the bench. Yet to me, every time he starts a game, especially away from home, it's like playing with 10 men. I don't know what he brings to us away from home. I don't know why he doesn't show what he does at home. Like Against West Brom at home, he was brilliant before. He even got took off himself, but I thought he didn't outrun. He came off the bench against 
when he scored against Birmingham, against Norwich, he came on, he looked good. He's good at home. Decent at home. Uh huh. Yet some games, he just looks lost. And it's this inconsistency that's really annoying us. Like, I thought Ekwa had a slow game again today when against all I thought that's Ekwa I like to say, you know, he's back. Mm-hmm. But we're we're reverting we're revert back to type. And that that's a culture thing as well, I think now. It's starting to become a culture thing within this the team. And we talk every the whole like the tagline of the whole club now is high performance bollocks, isn't it? Well, mm. high performance means consistently reaching the levels that you're capable of. So we can't just have one good game and then two games off. We've got to do it consistently. And we're mentioning positions here where, let's be honest, we've been linked with two two or three players already. Forward areas, centre midfielder and wingers. There's no surprise that we've been linked with Stansfield, a Japanese striker, the obvious Ahmad links, and then Envia. Because it's glaringly obvious to everybody who watches us that we need more creativity on the wings to take the burden off Clark and Roberts. We need a centre-forward who's going to score goals, and we need a centre-midfielder to give Echo and Neil a break because there's literally nobody else to play that role. I am. Um, I wanted to ask a question on that because I think, obviously, the links to Envia seem like they've come from him, and, of course, it makes complete and utter sense, so it probably won't happen. Um, but I think, and it's probably gone back there since we lost Corey Evans, who I think we still desperately miss, but... The player I wanted to pick out was Equa, and I said something after the commentary review, and I said, like, look, if there's decent money on offer for him at this point, I would take it because I thought he was bad when he first came in. I thought he was then superb, and I think sans the whole game, where he was, where he was very, very good, and looked like the Equa we know he can be. I think he's been really poor since he came back from injury, like really poor and gutless at points. But, like, after I said that on the podcast, I sat and I thought, and I thought, right, just for balance, like, has he not got enough experience around him, look after him, because he was only playing under 21 football not that long ago? And you say, well, Daniel's played over 100 games, but a lot of them at League One level, and then only one season in the Championship, and he's still very, very young, Daniel. Daniel, for me, one of the first names on the team sheet, but learning, progressing week on week on week, he's not there to progress someone else. He's not at that age yet or that experience yet. Somebody like a Corey Evans, an Envia, someone who could come in and just sit and kind of go, lads, just take them, like, just have a minute to yourself. Like, you don't have, like, that's what we sort of miss. Do you think that, because I think naturally you look at the players you've got and you say, who's not been good, X, Y, Z. And for me, Ekwo was the player I picked out because I think he's been honking, to be honest with you, sans that whole game the other week. I, I think he's been really poor and. Uh, it takes me a while these days to take these lads out because I really like them, but I think he's been poor. But in the interest of fairness, the links to people like Mvia and players of similar ilk, who I'm sure will be linked to, and a Corey Evans, do you think like with someone who can just sit, like a Corey Evans even, um, if he comes back from injury in time, would benefit Equa? Do you think that's kind of what the boys in the middle are missing? Just someone to be like a level head and kind of help them progress naturally to be football, a better footballer? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it was best football for us. It was about in the last season where he was a box-to-box midfielder as well and he wasn't just a sitting one. I agree with that, 100%. Ro- yeah, and where they rotated. And I remember deadline day, weren't we after a Turkish centre midfielder, a defensive centre midfielder, that who, been played like, 
so many games for Fenerbahce and it felt like so the club have clearly identified that as a position but they believed at the time right we've got enough if we'd signed so a Turkish the, player though it would have been a delight hey, ah, I like that one that was good that hey, was good yeah. you could tell I was trying to get it in I was like <laughs> yeah <laughs> you did try but no again I feel like Echo and Neil were going to run them in the ground if one of them gets injured mind, we're in big trouble Big, big trouble. Like, look, when Ekor got injured, we were, we were lost. And they need they need rotation in there. And Matete has almost come back. But again, he's played, he started, what, two, three championship games? We need someone in there who's got a bit of know-how about them. Or not just championship experience, but, like, not a kid. We need a professional who's been around and done that. Someone, I'd say someone who was even around 26, but... Nazia Russian's 26 and he doesn't get on the football pitch anymore. So, what do I know about football, Graham? What do I know? Same, mate. I, I think it's like glaringly obvious. We've been saying it for ages and ages and ages. And then the results were really good towards the end of last season. And I like the model. Shock horror. I like the model. Like, I know people think I hate it, but I like the idea of signing young sort of gems at a really low cost and them being developed in a really good players. I think. The amount of players that I could list that we've done a good job with, Trey Hume, Dennis Serkin, um, Dan Ballard, like Jack Clark. There's too many players that I can mention there, and there's other ones that I haven't even brought up that are proof that that model works. But where a lot of these players maybe get let down is the fact that they have to learn from other 21-year-olds. And... You just need to see what it's like when Pritch is on the pitch and what I've mentioned Corey Evans more than I've ever mentioned him in any podcast, by the way, in this podcast. But a Corey Evans, you see what these players have learned from those players when they're on the pitch because it takes so much from them because no matter how good of a player you are, unless you're like Lionel Messi, you cannot extract four or five hundred worth of appearances in the championship and above and in football just overnight. No matter how good you are, you, you, you can't be as streetwise as Pritchard. Like Dan Neal's played a hundred odd games, but he's still not going to be a streetwise as streetwise as like a Pritchard. Like Dan Ballard, brilliant defender, incredibly um cultured. I think he'll be a fantastic player. I think he'll play in the Premier League. But I bet you he picked up loads from Danny Bart last season, like tons from him. And I think for me, the model, if you have seven or eight 21-year-olds and three 29, 30, 31-year-olds in your spine. I think it works an absolute treat. I think you look at like, I know it was League One, but going into the start of the championship last season when our spine was Danny Bart, Corey Evans, Ross Stewart, all players 26, 27 and above, two of them in the 30s, with Pritchard mixed into that. We were brilliant start of last season and only injuries kind of killed it. So I'm not against the model of it. And I think most people feel the same. It's that tiny, tiny tweak of letting them learn from someone much more experienced than themselves. That will change. Drab 1-1 one, one draws against Rotherham in a 2-1, 3-1 wins against Rotherham, where young players look fresh and exciting and talented, and your experienced players are guiding the ship. Like Christian Speakman is much more involved in coaching football and understanding football than I ever will be because I'm nowhere, I'm nothing but a fan, really. A journalist at best, but that's that's up for debate, I suppose. Um, and the same applies to Mike Dodds and the players that were on the pitch. 
But to me, it just seems such a fucking basic thing. You could have this perfect model if you just tweaked it like a tiny, tiny little tad. Um, and the most they've tweaked it in the past year has been Bradley Dack, which is an injury-prone player that can't get in the pitch. Yeah, uh, I was watching the Brighton game last night. And you look at their squad, they've got Danny Welbeck, Adam Lalana. You know what I mean? Like James Milner. James Milner. Experience all over the pitch. And they're maybe not at the peak, but they're letting all these other young talents. They're learning from them every week. And uh yeah. So you've gotta you've gotta have a mix. You know what I mean? Um we're not asking for drastic changes. And I think this, this next month's huge for the club. I really do. I feel like we're at a we're at a crossroads at the moment. We feel like do we want to tread water and see if we can fluke it in the playoffs? Or are we serious about getting in the playoffs? And I feel like these next four weeks will really show where we're at and how ruthless we're going to be as a club because, let's be honest, there's a few few of the model signs haven't worked. Jewison Bennett was on the bench today. He's not going to get a look in. I think Bars virgin on the not working model as well, to be honest. I know he was okay second half. But at one point when he's cutting to the middle of the pitch and he put Rotherham on the break, and I'm like, what are you doing? The one thing I would say about Barr is, though, he's at least showed it over a period in spells, starting in the team. Whereas debate that. I'd argue last season when he played in the 10 role against Norwich and then he played at home. I can't remember who it was against. He was good. And then the start of this season... He scored at home against Watford. He against QPR. He was good against Southampton. He was good at home. It's it's just inconsistent again. Though that's that that could just be our, our team name, inconsistent AFC. Because when we're good, we're brilliant. Like the last twenty minutes, Rotherham couldn't go of us when we're going forward, and they they were they were relieved at the end. But for the seventy minutes beforehand, utter shit. We did nothing with the ball. We had pointless. I say everybody was on about possession, control the game. Pointless possession is worth nothing. You've got to have possession with intent or at least where you're creating traps to bring their players out and then create gaps and spaces in behind. If you're not doing that, then you're just wasting everyone's time. And our messing about with the ball is what's then bringing us under pressure, which we've seen in the defeats to Coventry and the goal because, uh, the goal we nearly conceded at night when Patterson pulled us out of shit. And it's becoming... It's becoming a common theme of where we this is we can't keep going off the bench and changing it. We've got to start controlling games, and that'll be one of the that's one of the things I'd argue at times when it worked well. Mowbray did that. I don't think Michael Beale in the three games he's had has had any great control over any games. We played well at all, but we're playing a good team, but we never had any control. And I feel like that's where the next step's got to be. And that might come from getting a midfield enforcer. It might come from having a forward on the pitch. So he's it's not like to say like he, he's got everything in, he's locked, he's had everyone, he's tried everything and it's not working. But he's got to basically, I feel like the next month's huge on and off the pitch. First of all, we can't sell anyone good. Because if we lose any good players, we lose Ballard, we lose Clark, Kiss goodbye the season. It's gone. And it's a total lack of ambition from the hierarchy. We've got to keep our main players and we've got to add experience or quality. It can be 20, like Stansfield, 21. He scored goals in the championship, he's quality, I don't care. I don't think it'll happen, but players of that ilk 
have got to come in. Like Ahmad, he wasn't experienced, but he flipped tremendous. I can't see it happening, but some pe- players of that ilk have got to come in for us to be serious about getting where we want to go. We said we wanted to be better every year. Well, so far, it's not looking good unless we're, we really turn the corner in the second half of the, of the season. Obsession with progression. Um, not quite seeing that obsession come to fruition at the moment, which is a lot of rhyming words, which I did on purpose. Um, I can see us bringing in someone like Alfredo Morelos, no one look gets sent off in the first 10 minutes against uh, that lot up the road in the FA Cup game. But at this rate, to be honest, I take anyone that has scored gold previously at some point. I think Stanfield's a pipe dream, but... Did he see Morelos, the state he was in when he played in Brazil? Yes. He's got a bigger gut than me. And I nearly have a heart attack every time I'm walking up the uh, the Premier Concourse. So I, uh, you might as well stick me up front with Bradley Duck. Fucking hell! Well, if yeah, if you, if we're going down to that extent, I'd say use me. I can I go for a run per day, so at least I can keep up for like an hour, which is more than Bradley Duck can do. To be fair, but um, couple of listener questions, and when I say a couple, I mean absolutely tons. Um. Okay, I can't really answer this question because I'm not Elon Musk. Um, but I kind of get the point. It's from Ryan. It says, can X please be closed down, Twitter, when SFC either draw or lose because the reactions are ridiculous? I can't really answer the question because, no, I, I can't turn X and Twitter off. But I kind of get what he's saying is, like, are there reactions overblown and, and one of my questions was going to be that myself because it's a busy Christmas period we've got a good win at Hall we got beat here last year are they overreactive or are they, are they kind of fair I, I, I think it's fair but I'll, I'll throw the question to you as well on the performance I think it's fair for 70 minutes against Bottom of the League it wasn't good enough if we were honest about reaching the levels where we need to be Um. With a one, like I say, with a one-one draw away from home after beating Hull, if we back it up against Preston, you could look back at it and go, "God, that was a bit hysterical the way someone on." But again, it's all reactive, isn't it? And sometimes I feel like certain players do get mauled, like Bar today. I don't think he did anything bad apart from that one bit you mentioned where he left it on the halfway line, mm-hmm. but he wasn't the only person to lose the ball in bad place today. Job was was really poor in losing possession. Yeah, I see nothing about him on Twitter losing the ball. And Ball was like, ah, get him off. I even seen one person put like, how how's Barton on the pitch? It was like, well, we've used our uh, allotted slots for substitutions. Um, <laughs> Unless so we went down to 10 men. Uh, but I feel like, again, I feel like it was, I get where he's coming from. At times I can say that, but I think tonight, based on the performance we put in, Everyone's well within the rights to see how shite it was. I always say I don't think Twitter's a barometer for anything. Um, and in many ways, it's not in everyday life. But I don't know. I don't know if I've just got good people that follow me on what the fuck. But I do feel like a lot of the time, the bulk of people, like, you can't kid a kidder. Do you know what I mean? Like, they, they know their football because they're, like us, besotted with it and obsessed with it. And go join about 40, 50 million podcasts per week and then record them and then listen to other ones and listen to more football and watch more football. We're all obsessed with it. And it's ridiculous. We should just stop because life would be sometimes a bit easier, but that little high that we get keeps us addicted to it. Um, But I think because of that, Sunderland fans kind of know their onions. 
So I do sometimes feel like, yeah, there's one or two that's a bit overboard. But like Beale's appointment in the first place, you, you can't kid a Sunderland fan, in my opinion. They could see it. The multitude of factors that where that wasn't quite right. Um, quick one, which is coming from uh, your last Ross. She says, uh, "Where's it gone? I just had it before." Do you want her to return with Sunland pajamas? Now, I have, I've read this very differently. So maybe, oh, you've already got the pajamas on. You've already got the pajamas on. Fair play. Oh, yeah. tell you what, like they're not very, uh, they're a bit skin tight. That's fair to say. No comment. Um, really good question from Martin. Martin, I've actually met. I really like Martin. Met him. I can't remember what game it was before, but I've seen him a couple of times. Um, and he's one of those weird people that actually likes the podcast uh, by us, which is very odd, but uh, very, very welcomed. And thank you very much, okay. Martin. But Martin's asked a great question. He said, uh, are we going backwards? Cracking question, that. Martin, I used to sit in front of him in the southwest corner as well. Great lad. It depends because you look at where we are now to where we were last season. All the metrics say that we're doing better. Yet the eye test for me says this is a far stretch from the free-flowing attacking football we were seeing last season. So I don't know. I feel like, again, on the, on the pitch, performances and the style, it looks like we are. But results... And all of the metrics about chance creation, goal score, etc. We're probably doing better. But again, well, the proof will be in the pudding at the end of the season to see where it is. But I, I know I reiterated this before, but this one feels massive. The games we've got coming up, the transfer window, what can we do to affect it? Can we give ourselves the best chance of of improving on last year? I know everyone's saying as well that it's a better league this season. I think the top three, top four are better. But I don't think the league is, if I'm honest. Because we were playing better last season and we were struggling to get in the top six for the majority of it. We've, we were in the top six on Boxing Day. We haven't, to me, we haven't even played well much this season. So I feel like if the teams are like Hull, who we're going to be playing and challenging for, we're still well within a shout. But I get what he means about are we going backwards because at times... The football is painful to watch in comparison to what we produced in last season. I think, um, like the <laughs> we're a database club, aren't we these days? So they're probably looking at the data and saying, "Well, actually, the metrics say we're performing better." But the eye test, I agree with you. Uh, for me, to answer Martin's question, I, I think we are going backwards a little bit. Uh, I don't think the man we've got in the dugout. Is as good or as experienced or plays as good football as the man that was in the dugout a few weeks ago, who I felt should have been moved on and replaced by somebody else. However, that person wouldn't have been Michael Beale for me, but that's a different conversation for a different day, isn't it? Graham, I'd just like to say I retract all praise from Michael Beale. Um, someone just texted me there saying that they turned on Michael Beale's interview with the club, which reflected on the point. And they turned it off after they heard dominant display. Dominant display. Your face just said it all, which people can't see. Um, it was like chewing a wasp. What what, what dominant display did he say? Because see, we've even been nice to him. We praised him for his changes, and then he still manages to piss us off. I mean, I hope I'm getting. Obviously, we haven't. We'll have to caveat that we haven't actually heard ourselves, and I'm just getting a text, but. <laughs> <laughs> 
if he has said that, then that's worrying. I mean... Dominated possession, but we did nothing with it. You, you can pass the ball backwards and sideways. That's fine. 70% possession we had tonight, but that's because most of it went backwards and sideways. But we've got one more, then we'll do with the, the, the good, the bad, and the, the hmm, not the hum, the hmm. Um, and I'm going to save my thoughts on Michael Beale with that because it caveats into something, and that's one of my bad. Um, there's been a few people asked the same question. Is there any justification for Pritchard not starting every game? I'll take that one if you don't mind. Absolutely not. Um, he's far and wide, I think, even more so than Jack Clark, almost creative player. It's very, very obvious that when he comes on the pitch, we're a completely different side. And yet he sits on the bench and we try to flog him for absolutely sweet FA um, in the summer. And I think that in there lies a lot of my issues with um, the way the club is going at the moment. Alex Pritchard, for me, plays every single week. There's three names that, for me, get on the team sheet every single week. One of them is Jack Clark, for obvious reasons. The other one is Daniel Neal. And the other one is Alex Pritchard. Um, I think almost every other player you could arguably have a question mark on, maybe a bit harsh on Pato and Trey Hume. But for me, those three players are massively important. I've obviously missed somebody out there, and someone's going to pick me out on that. But um, I, yeah, I mean... I'll do, for, who, I'll do it for you, Ballard. Oh, I, Yeah, okay, fair <laughs> enough. But like Pritchard, Pritchard, of all those players we've mentioned, Pritchard's the one that doesn't start regular. And that can maybe that sort of raises my point, I guess. But um, Ross, we're going to the, the good, the bad, and the hmm. The good, the bad, and the Trey Hume. Um, that's not fair because that means that Trey Hume's a hmm, which is not really the case. We'll, we'll stick to the original format. What's your, what's your good? The good was the last 20 minutes and our attack and intent. The bad was the absolute disaster class of first half where we did absolutely nothing, in my opinion. And the hmm is part of Roberts' injury. Let's hope it's not bad because if it is, then uh, I know we all say, like, oh, his end product needs to be better, but I still think with a striker on the pitch, the balls, for etc., that he put in the box against Hull. He's a, he's a great asset to have and he, we play a bet with him and we'll miss him. We'll see how much we'll miss him when he's not there. I agree on the Roberts thing. Yeah, I do. Um, I've toed and fold with it and maybe his numbers are not that great, but you're right with that ball that he put across the box for Hull. A half-decent striker sticks that in the back of the net. Um, the good, mine's dead basic. Jack Clark, Mr. Reliable. We haven't scored a goal away from home. Um, that hasn't been scored by Jack Clark since September. That's an absolute fucking abhorrent stat but it shows you how important he is. And I hate when people say, where would something be without Jack Clark? Well, you know, we're not without him. We had him. We scouted him. We signed him. We bought him. He wears a Sunderland shirt. He's signed a contract with Sunderland. So it's a ridiculous statement. Uh, Jack Clark plays for Sunderland. But as ever, he's just so reliable and he pulls us out of the shit every single week. Um, and the boy at this point deserves to be playing Premier League football. I just hope for a fact. I hope um, that he doesn't think that. And he stays with us at least until the end of the season. Um, I'll give you the hmm before I give you my bad, because I think the bad maybe sums up how I'm feeling a bit at the minute. Uh, it'll leave you with a bit of a shitty ending to the pod, but here we are. The hmm is what we touched on before, why we don't see more of Pritch when it's, it's like it's smacking me in the face like a brick. When you see how obvious it is what he brings, why that doesn't smack numerous managers in the face. 
Christian Speakman and KLD in the face that despite the fact he's 30, he's one of our most creative and best players and makes us such a better side will continuously baffle me. But um, I've probably had too much Jack Daniels to talk about that. I'll probably say something that'll get me wrong off like media law or something. But um, the bad is a little bit of off-field stuff and maybe away from the match. Just the feel around the club at the moment, something feels really off and it's really worrying me. If you look back over the past few podcasts, I've done it with numerous different people. James Copley from the Sunday Echo has been on. Lee's joined us recently. You've been on. Brad's been on when we've won. Um, and <laughs> um, he's at Wilder well, Night Fair Play. He wanted to be on, but he couldn't be. And, and Dave's been on. And we always come back to something that's like what they're doing with the tickets, giving them kicking fans out the, the, the their own seats, uh, something going wrong with like club merchandise, the appointment of the managers, the fact that it took two weeks, two and a bit weeks to find Michael Beale, the performance of the players being on the pitch and this question and some attitudes on the pitch. The field just isn't good at the minute, if I'm honest with you. And even today, we couldn't even get the bloody tickets on sale. And look, I know people say it's a Ticketmaster thing. I've been on Ticketmaster loads. It's never done that for me before. and gone, oh, mistake. Come back in three hours' time. It's never happened to me. Ticketmaster is not the best website in the world. Trust me, it's bloody awful. And I don't really like them. But the website works when I want to get a ticket for a gig. It just depends if I'm fast enough. And for some reason, our Derby Day tickets got absolutely messed up. And it just summed up that stinky feeling at the minute. That feels very League One. But anyway, that's that's my that's my bad. No, I think you're spot on there. And that's why I think this month's huge because we've got you see a transfer window, we need to show our intent, and then I think if the club show their intent, the fans will back them all away. But if they also do the opposite hmm. and show their lack of intent, the fans will certainly let them know then as well. And let's be honest, we have some huge, huge games coming up. You mentioned the Derby Day there. That could go really south. That's my worry. Yeah. As well. And then we've got some big league games coming up. So, yeah, just win. Just win games. Ross, thanks for joining. I hope not everyone's been um, too sad about it. 